Cast. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I am extremely excited about today's guest, Mr. Grant Baldwin. Grant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Earl. Appreciate you uh, letting me be with you. Oh, this is going to be a great conversation. And folks, what I want you to know about Grant and why I'm excited to have him on the show is Grant is the founder and CEO of the Speaker Lab, and he has helped thousands of people build successful and sustainable speaking businesses. Over the last 15 years, Grant has become a sought-after speaker, podcaster, author, and accomplished entrepreneur. He's been featured in Inc. 5000 list, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and the Huffington Post. He has committed his expertise and insight to equipping others to share their meaningful message with the masses. With a mission to motivate other leaders and entrepreneurs, the Speaker Lab has worked with students in all 50 U.S. states and in over 45 countries around the world. In addition to his book, The Successful Speaker, as well as the Speaker Lab podcast, uh, they have impacted thousands of speakers at all levels. His leadership and dedication to creating a -a one-of-a-kind organizational culture are evidenced by the impact of the team he leads. And it's with that background, that wealth of knowledge and expertise, that I can't wait to hear how you answer that first question that I start off all of my guests. When you hear the words responsible leadership, what do they mean to you? Yeah, good question. So, uh, you know, I think ultimately, like all leadership is a responsibility and it's a, whether that's going to be leading at the, at the home with your family, we can, we can talk about that. I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We've got three daughters. So it's me and a house full of women. It's an absolute blast. It's my own little Barbie dream house. I love it. Uh, or within the, within our, our company, like you mentioned, I'm the CEO founder of the speaker lab where we've got, uh, about 35 team members or so. And so there's a lot of people who are looking to me for direction or, or, um, decisions or whatever whatever it may be. And so that's a huge responsibility there. But uh, yeah, every every day, um, every decision that I make and action that I take and, and things that I'm working on uh, personally or professionally, I, I recognize that um, that has some form of, of, of trickle down or domino effect in other parts of my life and ultimately affecting other people's lives, whether that, again, is going to be uh, personally within my home, with my family or uh, with, with team members that I work with. Um, and so it's a, it's a, a massive, massive responsibility that uh, I don't think can be taken lightly. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I'm kind of curious, is that something that you innately knew or was that, that something that you had to, uh, you had to kind of learn the hard way? Uh, I'd probably say it's a, a bit of both. Um, I, I know for me personally, like I've always been super intrigued by the concept of an idea of, of leadership. And so I remember even in high school doing a, 
like my freshman or sophomore year. I don't even remember what class, but I remember doing some type of, of term paper on the subject of leadership. And it was just a topic that was a, of interest to me. And uh, I remember even in, in high school that uh, I, I, I recognize like probably in hindsight now, recognize some level of leadership ability or skills or the, uh, the uh, ability to influence other people. Um, and even, you know, today with fast forward with like within our company and what it is that we're doing on a day in and day out basis, you know, I think there's, there's some things that I do that are kind of innate and, and other things where like, man, I don't, you know, I'm no different than anybody else just trying to figure it out and making it up as I go and, and doing my best. And some days, like whenever it comes to the topic of leadership, you're like, Hey, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm not too bad at this. And other days, like, I don't, I don't have any idea. I don't know why anybody's following me or listening to me about anything I have to say. So, um, I think I'm, I'm, uh, in many ways, no, no different than anybody else. Yeah. Well, no, and I think that is a good uh, a good point to make, right? Is I mean, there's some areas of leadership, and, and I think this is true for everybody. So I'm glad that you pointed that out because I get that a lot when I'm working with people that are on their leadership journey is like, you know, there's going to be some pieces of it that are going to come natural to you. Some people are natural carers. Some people are natural feelers. They get the emotional intelligence piece that comes very natural to them. And for other people, that is just the most foreign concept. Right. You know, making the trains run on time, that is the thing that comes natural to them. And the emotional intelligence is is the piece that they struggle with. And that's okay, right? No, absolutely. Like, uh, you're exactly right that every leader is going to have kind of a different skill set and kind of their own different uh, persona that they bring to the table. And so, uh, yeah, there's going to be uh, some leaders that I, I know that may be more um, emotional, um, not in a, a negative way, but uh, just more, uh, I don't know, like touchy feely. And, and some that are uh, uh, cold is probably too harsh of a, of a term, but they're just very, um, uh, much less emotional. And, uh, and again, it's not necessarily that one's better or worse. I think that's one of the interesting things about, you know, leadership and, and speakers and music and anything is like, everybody's going to gravitate towards different preferences. And, and there's going to be some leaders that are some people that are going to be drawn to certain types of leaders and other people that may not be drawn to that type of leader. It's not, you know, something uh, good or bad. Uh, it's just very neutral. Um, and I think that that's also a um, good that the, you know, that the world needs different types of leaders because um, not one person is going to be able to uh, be the type of leader that every single person is looking for. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And one of those areas that not everybody is naturally talented in is speaking, but you know, I'm sure that uh, you've ran into that a time or two, right? A few times. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so uh, before we kind of get into that piece of it about the actual speaking, I I'm really kind of curious because, uh, you know, this is not a, a you know, the, the actual art of speaking is not something I've had an opportunity to interview a lot of people about or who are experts on actual like the the art and profession of speaking so what really kind of got you gravitated towards speaking as as your area of expertise and helping other people become better at speaking yeah i i mean a lot of this goes back to even when i was in high school um i was the the kid that actually like in speech class i, I looked forward to giving a talk uh i was still had some of the same uh, nerves and butterflies uh that that everybody does and even to this day still have some of those we can we can talk about that but um, even in college, I worked for a guy who was a full-time speaker. And so kind of got to see a little bit behind the scenes and kind of got to see what that was like in terms of, of as, a, as a profession, as a career. And so in high school, actually, 
uh, I was really involved in my local church and my youth pastor had a big impact on my life. And uh, I was like, I want to do that. Like that just seems like a really cool, rewarding profession. And so that was kind of the career path I was on. I actually uh, went to Bible college. I was a youth pastor uh, at another local church for a little while. There were parts of it I liked, parts of it I didn't like, but one of the things I really enjoyed and felt like I was good at was speaking. And so I had opportunity on a weekly basis to speak to students within the youth group. And then um, every a couple of weekends a year, I'd get to speak in big church uh, on the weekends and uh, really enjoy that. And uh, just, I was like, speaking's fun. You know, it, it's, it's hard, but I also felt like there was something, uh, something there, something uh, that was just intriguing to me about it. And so when uh, I left that role as a, as a youth pastor, I decided I want to pursue a career as a speaker, but there's a lot of things I, I just, I didn't know. And I didn't know like, how do you find gigs and what do you speak about and who hires speakers and how much do you charge? And like, how does this mysterious world work? And so at the time, this was 17, 18 years ago or so, there were no podcasts or trainings or books or resources really on all things speaking. And so I found myself emailing other speakers, harassing other speakers, stalking them, kind of pick your brain type stuff and, uh, and, and learned a couple things and started booking some gigs. And that led to some more gigs and eventually got to a point where I was doing about 60 or 70 paid speaking gigs a year and absolutely loved it. It was blast, had a great time. Uh, but I also had a lot of people who were asking me some of the same questions that I had originally. So people asking me like, Hey, how do you, how do you find gigs? And what do you speak about? Who hires speakers and how does it work? And, uh, so I started doing some coaching training around that. And then about seven years ago or so is when I started the speaker lab. And so we're a, a coaching and training company uh, for people helping them understand how to find and book paid speaking gigs. And so, yeah, I'd say uh, the high majority of my career has been in the uh, professional speaking space. And it's a, uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, no. And, and, and I think that's uh, one of the things that I love about what you do, right. Is because I think everybody, that has ever had this dream has had the same struggle that, that you just laid out. Like I will remember forever when I started uh, on this journey, everything you just said, like you just told my story. Uh, you know, I remember I was, uh, the, the job I was working at at the time, they had a, uh, organization wide mentoring program. I was involved with that for a few years and the person I was working with was like, hey, you're pretty good at this. Have you ever thought about doing this uh, professionally? I'm like, well, that's what I'm doing now. He's like, no, I mean, like outside of this. Yeah. And I'm like, well, no, not really. And then I started looking for information and uh, I was like, oh, there's so much. You know, one person's telling you to charge, you know, uh, you look at like the the John Maxwell pay scale and it's like 60,000 plus. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great money. Right. And then you realize, right. well, that's John Maxwell pay scale. That's not your pay scale. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of variation in this. So but, you know, I like what I like about your stuff. And for those of you who haven't looked into what what Grant does with the successful speaker book in the Speaker Lab podcast and even your YouTube channel. It's a lot. You've done a really good job of of as as my grandfather used to say, kind of putting it where the goats can get it, right? Taking that information, simplifying it, and and making it easily consumable. So I just want to say, as somebody who's been there looking for the information, thank you for kind of being that voice that I think we all wish we had when we started this journey. Cool. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think uh, you know when I got started, uh, one of the things that. Um, uh, I, I always thought about was that I felt like I had the potential, but I needed the plan. I had the potential, but I needed the plan knowing like I wasn't the best speaker in the world. I wasn't the worst speaker in the world, but there was something there and I wanted to do more of it. I was just like, I'll, I'll put in the work. I just need someone to tell me, just show me what to do. Like, what are these steps? Because a lot of times whenever it comes to speaking, and I think one of the great things about speaking is 
there's not like a, a one size fits all, meaning there are speakers who, who speak professionally and, and it's like the, it's a full-time thing that they do and they do, you know, 50, 75, a hundred gigs a year and other people that like, there's no chance I want to do that, but they do five or 10 gigs a year and it's, you know, supplements some of the other stuff that they do and it, it's, it's works really, really well, or they use it as to, to sell or offer some other type of, of product or service. And it's, you know, speaking fits hand in hand with that really well. Um, but the thing with it, that it comes to with speaking is like, yeah, it's just this mysterious black box at times. And it feels like, well, in order to be a speaker, you have to, uh, you have to have, uh, have some type of reason to be a speaker. Meaning like oftentimes people assume you need to have uh, conquered cancer. You need to have, you know, climb Mount Everest in your shorts, blindfolded. You, you need to have won a <laughs> Nobel peace prize or a gold medal. You know, you need, you need to do something that people are like, Oh yeah, well of course that person should be a speaker, but like, that's not the reality at all. And so I can tell you, even from my own experience, like I remember early on in my career, uh, I got started speaking and I met a guy who's become a good friend who's also a speaker. And he, uh, he has a, a crazy story. Uh, he um, had cancer as a child, ended up having one leg amputated and went on to become a one-legged downhill skier in the Paralympics. And mm-hmm. so he, he tells me all this and I'm just like, I can't compete with that. Like I'm a, I'm a white male from the Midwest who's had a, like a normal middle-class life. Like there's just literally nothing on paper that would just qualify me and be like, Oh, that guy was on American Idol. Of course he should. No, not at all. I can't sing <laughs> at all. So, so when I, I came across him, I was just like, ah, oh, it's, that's very intimidating and daunting. But the reality is, is like of being a speaker is at the end of the day, your job is, is to solve a problem, solve one specific problem for one specific audience. And that's, you know, this is an exclusive to speakers. This is true with entrepreneur, entrepreneurship and, and business just in general is your job is to solve one specific problem for one specific audience. You do that you do that well, you can be really, really successful as a speaker. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that simple. It is, it is that simple. And, and I think that is uh, a great story to share because, you know, I'm a veteran and, and, and I face the same thing, right? Like I'm just looking out there and like everybody's, you know, I was a peacetime veteran. Everybody's out there. There's the Marcus Luttrell's that, that have, you know, the, the lone survivor book and movie right. and these harrowing stories. And I've had Jason Redmond on my show, you know, I mean, as he puts it, he goes, I got shot in the effing face, which wow. he did. And, you know, uh, he's got a, that, that's just such a great, but you know, he's got another backstory behind that, which if, uh, it, you know, if you've never heard his story, it's a crazy story too, but yeah, it, it, it took that epiphany that you just said there, right? It's like, I don't have to have that crazy hero story. I have some value to add with, with what I do. It doesn't have to be storming the beaches of Normandy. Right. And, 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 and I love it. I love it. Um, but the one thing, and, and, and I know that this is something you talk about quite a bit, and you kind of mentioned it before with the butterflies, and, and the, there's all kinds of different statistics about where it ranks on the scariest things that people will do. Sure. But public speaking is always kind of like in the top, like three to five scariest things that people will do in their life, depending on which list you're, you're uh, looking at. How How do you get people or how can people in general kind of uh, like a get to that realization that they, they do have value to add, that they, they can solve a problem, but push past those butterflies. How do you help them get through that? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of thoughts. One is that I think it's really easy to confuse nerves, uh, 
with like just excitement and adrenaline, right? Meaning like think through some of the moments that you've had in life that have been like really key pivotal moments where you've had maybe a similar type of butterfly experience, right? So maybe I think for myself, like when, um, when I proposed to my wife or when my daughters were born or, uh, at our wedding or, you know, something like that, where it's just like the, the, you've had those same type of butterfly feelings. And, and oftentimes it's not, this nervous energy, like, oh my gosh, something's going to go wrong. I'm going to propose and she's going to say, no, this is going to be awful. And it's going to ruin my life. No, no. Oftentimes it's just kind of like the body's way of like bringing this heightened awareness to you. Like, Hey, Hey, heads up. Like what's happening right now is really important. Like lock in. Right. So even think about, you know, from a, 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 a professional sports, uh, a sporting event, you know, and for an athlete, you know, you and I were talking a little bit earlier about, uh, the NHL and the Nashville Predators. And uh, you think about like a professional hockey player. And my guess is before, let's say like a, a big game or a Stanley Cup finals or something, those are professional athletes. They have practiced their entire lives. They have trained for this moment. They're ready for this moment. But my guess is that they're still going to feel some of that butterflies. They're still going to feel some of that adrenaline. And it's not this feeling of like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a disaster. I'm going to get out there and slip and fall. This is going to be embarrassing. This is not going to go well at all. It's like, no, no, like they've prepared for this. They've trained for this. They're ready for this, but they still feel some of that same those same feelings. And so again, if anything, don't necessarily always confuse the the nerves and the butterflies with just the excitement of the moment. Now, what do you do in that situation to make sure it doesn't become uh, debilitating, right? So there, the, one of the things I would highly recommend is that you really spend a lot of time behind the scenes practicing and preparing. The best speakers on the planet, oftentimes people assume, and there's kind of this mis, mis, uh, uh, wrong idea that like, the best speakers on the planet are, are just good on stage. They scribble some thoughts on a napkin. They hop up there, they wing it. And it's all, it all just works out. And like, it just doesn't happen like that. You know, let's go back to the professional uh, athlete example for a second. You know, the, the best hockey players, football players, basketball, baseball, whatever it may be, uh, best musicians, they don't just hop up on stage or on the court or the field or whatever it may be. And just like, oh, I'm just going to wing it. And hopefully it works out. Now there's oftentimes like a level of talent and skill and ability where probably they could potentially get away with some of that. But but the reality is, is like they spend so much time behind the scenes practicing and preparing and going over their plays uh, and their the songs or the you know, set list or the speech or whatever the thing may be so that by the time they get up on stage, it looks like it's effortless. It looks like they're just winging it. But the reality is like they've spent so much time behind the scenes. And so the same thing is true for you and I. If we're if we're getting ready to give a speech. One of the worst things you can do is like, I'm just going to hop up there and wing it. Like really spend the time behind the scenes to practice and prepare. So I'll give an example. If you think back to um, uh, like high school, college, university, and you remember taking some type of like test or quiz and you, you have a choice. Like you could go in and just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of wing it and go through the motions and hope it works out. And oftentimes it doesn't. Or it's like, oh, no, I'm going to really actually like put in the effort. I'm going to put in the work. I'm going to study for this. I'm going to prepare for this. I'm going to read, you know, practice, uh, take practice exams and do study re review questions and read through my notes and like really be ready for this. Um, and this is actually, this is something that happened to me recently. It's just a kind of a, a personal anecdote. But uh, for a long time, I'd always been interested in getting my pilot's license. Uh, I have no practical need for it other than I just seem like a cool kind of bucket list, you know, type experience. And right. so 
uh, about uh, eight, nine months ago or so, I, I started taking flying lessons. And uh, it takes a long time. It's a lot of work. And it all kind of culminates in what's called a check ride. And the check ride is basically this final, final exam. And it is kind of two parts. One is the uh, an oral exam where you are with an FAA examiner and they are just drilling you on anything and everything. And it is just a crap load of information you got to study and prepare for and really, really know. So assuming you pass that part of it, then the other part is you got to get in the plane and demonstrate a whole bunch of different stuff. So they're going to, you got to demonstrate different types of takeoffs and landings and maneuvers. And it's just a lot of work to prep for. And it's, and it's can be a bit, you know, intimidating and stressful type of situation. So this, my check ride was, uh, three weeks ago, something like that. And so I spent so much time preparing and getting ready for this and it was stressful and it was intimidating. It was daunting and da, 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 da. And so go to the day of my check ride and I sit down and you know what? I, I, I felt some of the butterflies, but for the most part, I just felt ready. I felt comfortable and confident in large part because I knew I had put in the work. And so the speaker that gets up on stage is like, oh, I feel some of the butterflies. Like oftentimes it's just, again, it's excitement. It's adrenaline of the moment. But when you put in the work and you feel prepared, then you go in going like, I, I got this. It doesn't mean it's a cakewalk. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's going to be challenging, but I feel confident that I've put in the work and I'm prepared and I'm ready. And so I think that that's the biggest thing you can do to help minimize those nerves. The other thing I would say is for everybody, wherever you are in your speaking journey, is that every professional speaker still has a lot of those same butterflies and those nerves. But oftentimes you you learn how to deal with it better over time just through pure repetition. So the way that you become better as a speaker is you speak. And the way that you become better as a podcaster is you podcast. So you become better as a writer or a singer or an artist or a musician or whatever the thing may be is that you do the thing, that you keep showing up. And so your hundredth speech is going to go better, hypothetically, than your first speech because you put in the reps. You know what to expect and you know what what works and what doesn't work. So the way that you can continue to improve and get better over time is again, continue to just to put in the work. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and all my veteran listeners are, are not in their head North and South right now. I, I, I just know that because you know, that that's what we do, right? I mean, that's, that's the entire like, you know, mission workup that we go through. That's what planning is. Planning, planning for anything is not about, you know, saying, Hey, this is, what we're going to do and sticking to that plan, no matter what it's, it's being ready for when things go wrong and, and having that confidence, as you mentioned, that when you need to deviate, you've prepared enough to know that you can deviate safely and make the right decision in the moment. And, uh, you know, Gene Kranz would always talk about that being the key to NASA's success. Like, how do you make these 10 second decisions of go, no go on a moon landing mission when you're millions or uh, miles away, you plan for months in advance when right. that, that thing happens. Right. And I, I think that's what you're talking about is, is planning gives you that sense of confidence that, you know, that maybe, you know, maybe the, the clicker breaks, maybe the microphone goes out, maybe this thing happens, but so what you're still prepared right. and, and you can, you can overcome the thing. And, and the other thing I would say, and, and what I liked about what you said there is we always talk about, uh, you know, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's acting in the presence of fear. Right. And, and, and that was a key piece there as well, because my thoughts are, if you ever reach the point where you go to, whether it's getting on stage or whatever you're doing, and you don't have a little bit of fear in your stomach, that's where hubris uh, <laughs> creeps in 
And that's when you're in a bigger danger of making a bigger mistake, right? Agreed. Totally. And, uh, you know, again, going back to the uh, the flying example, you know, part of what they are looking for is, can you be what's called the PIC, the pilot in command and make decisions uh, in the face of like adversity or, you know, weather situations or lots of traffic or whatever may be happening. And you've, you've got to be the one that's in charge up there. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, the same thing is true when you're on stage. I mean, I've had all kinds of just random situations that have happened. You know, I, I remember one time I was speaking and uh, I was speaking at a hotel in New Jersey and the, they were doing some construction outside the hotel and the power got cut and the the power for the entire property just goes out and so now you're just standing in a in a pitch black room this interior room with a bunch of people like what do you do in that situation i remember one time speaking and uh, a dog comes running in the room and just goes zipping around the room nobody's paying attention you know uh, i remember one time speaking at a um, a summer camp and a big storm rolls and we were in this kind of big metal building and it starts hailing like hardcore and you just feel like holy crap like this whole place is going to collapse at any moment and uh you know you just have like those crazy experiences that happen but yeah when 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 you uh when you are prepared and you put in the work and you put in the reps then it's like man those crazy things like they come and go but it's also uh you have a level of confidence that i i know how to handle this i know what to do in this situation um i may not have experienced anything like this before but uh whether you're flying a plane or you're the speaker on stage or whatever it is like there's a level of confidence that i i can handle this i can take care of the situation yeah hundred percent. Well, I tell you what, I think this is a good spot here. Uh, let's take our, our uh, mid-roll commercial break here, uh, pay some bills, and we'll continue our conversation on the other side. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right, listeners, we are back here with Grant Baldwin of the Speaker Lab. And we were talking uh, just before the break there about, you know, preparation, giving you confidence and, and uh, uh, being able to handle those those quirky situations when they, they fire up there. And, you know, I just want to, you know, make a, a crystal clear point here. You know, we've been talking now uh, so far about really, you know, like talking on stage, talking in front of crowds and all that. But, you know, we've talked about responsible leadership as well. And, and your team is looking for that same level of, of, of communication from you. And so all these same skills that we're talking about here, you know, whether you're talking in front of, you know, 500 people or you're talking in front of the five people on your team or the 15 people on your team or even the one other person on your team, they're looking for that same level of clear communication, that ability to speak, convey your thoughts that, that we're talking about here. So this is very much a leadership thing that we're talking about. Um, and, and these ideas that Grant is, is relaying here are extremely valuable. And, and I'm sure you've seen these in play in your own, uh, business, right? No, absolutely. Uh, one other thing I wanted to piggyback on is that, uh, when, when whatever happens in, in terms of uh, being on stage, or this also applies to being in a leadership position within your company or whatever it is the audience or your team or whoever may be, they take their cues from you. And so if something is not a big deal to you, it's not a big deal to them. So let's say, for example, uh, I remember one time speaking, and this happened a couple of times, actually, we're speaking and like the, the, the microphone uh, starts like fritzing out or like the batteries just die in it or someone's cell phone goes off um, or someone sneezes and it's really loud or disturbing, you know, or something happens. Um, I remember one time, um, 
speaking recently and I just totally lost my train of thought and I just totally had a brain fart, drew a complete blank. And I was like, I, I don't even remember what we're talking about. And it's one of the, and one of those moments where the audience is looking to you and if it's not a big deal to you, then all of a sudden it's not a big deal to them. So I remember like when that happened, I just, I just totally lost my, my train of thought. I, I remember just asking the lady in the front row, I was like, what? what was I even talking about? And like everybody laughs and it's not a big deal to me and it's not a big deal to them. But if, if I become uncomfortable, if I become like stiff or awkward or whatever it may be, and I, I'm clearly like, you know, uh, super nervous about this or uncomfortable, then all of a sudden the audience becomes super nervous and uncomfortable as well. And so remember as a speaker, as an, as a leader in general, that the audience ultimately takes their cue from you. Well, no, and I love that point. And, and, uh, you know, kind of piggybacking on the pilot thing. I don't know if this is something that they talk about as, as a private pilot, but I have a buddy who, uh, uh, flies for American airlines and they, they talk about the pilot's voice and, and they use that same exact example, right? So, you know, just imagine you're flying and then the engine goes out and the pilot comes over the, the intercom and, you know, says, you know, hey, we're experiencing some technical difficulties. We're going to have to make a emergency landing. We're going to be diverting to this uh, airport. And they come across with this nice, calm, cool, collective voice versus, oh, my God, we just lost an engine. We're going to have to divert. Everybody, this is a serious situation. Everybody listen to the steward. Like if they're in panic mode, right? everybody goes crazy. But if they, because of that pilot voice that they're trained to, to convey calm confidence they're in command of the situation you know most people don't panic when there's an issue on a plane sure some people do but what you just said is the whole purpose behind the quote pilot's voice um so so i love that yeah Um, i'll give an example of this from our our business Uh, i remember go for it um, back in 2020, March of 2020, when the, the pandemic really kicked off here, especially in the U S is that I think it was, uh, March, uh, 12, 13th, whatever, whatever that Friday was where things like really started to escalate in a, a real quick fashion within the U S especially and like the NBA season had just been canceled and, and uh, the NCAA tournament had been canceled and, uh, Tom Hanks had COVID and we were like, yeah. Holy crap, if Tom Hanks has it, like we're all going to die. And, right. um, so it was just like this, this, you know, big crisis crisis situation. Nobody really knew what does this mean? How's this going to play out? And I know, especially for the speaking industry, I mean, the, the core of our business is teaching people how to find a book paid speaking engagements. And like all of a sudden there were no speaking engagements, like everything just came to a, a crashing halt. And so I remember recording a video where we're a completely virtual company. And so I live in the Nashville area, but our entire team is all over primarily the US. And so I remember uh, recording a uh, like a 20 minute loom video for the team and talked about two things. One, we're going to take precautions. Um, and so what are the things that we're going to be doing? Here's some things that we've already set in motion, some plans that we are making and things that we're aware of or thinking about. So how are we going to one, take precautions? And number two is how are we going to take advantage? And like, what are the opportunities that this is going to create? And uh, so we talked a lot about both of those things. And I still, again, like I I had a lot of questions and doubts and concerns and fears and, you know, my same worries about what does all this mean for, you know, the business, for the industry, for my family, for the world at large. Like, I mean, at that point, nobody had any clue what was going to happen or how any of this was going to play out. Um, but I knew at the same time, like one of the best things that I could do was exude, uh, just a level of calm and confidence for, for my team and for, uh, where we were at, what we were facing and 2020 ended up being a a record year for us as a, as a company. And it ended up being a a really, really strong year. And that doesn't mean like, 
uh, that you can't have fear and that doesn't mean that you can't have, um, you know, questions or doubts or concerns or, or whatever it may be. But there's also just a level of just calm, just that calming, reassuring presence of, no, no, we, we got this. We'll figure this out. I don't know what this looks like and, and I don't know how it's all going to uh, unfold, but we'll, we'll figure it out. We're in this together. Um, but you're, you're right that, that that calming presence goes such a long way. Yeah. Um, that is such a great story. And, and fortunately from what I've been hearing, most businesses seem to take that approach. Some of them started running around like their hair was on fire, but for the most part, I think, um, most businesses I've, I've had the pleasure of speaking with took a a similar approach and, and, uh, which was, was very heartening to hear. Um, but that is a great story. Uh, I want to kind of switch a second here. I want to start talking about strategies a little bit. And, and I, I'm chuckling here because, you know, my, my uh, listeners know I, I try to do my due diligence. So I've listened to a bunch of your videos and I kind of already know a little bit where this is going. Maybe not completely, but um, I, I'm just going to throw this out there and I'm going to let you kind of run with this. Uh, slide decks. How do you feel about slide decks? I've got feelings on slide decks. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I, I got kind of a love hate relationship with him. I think sometimes uh, people assume like, ah, oh, he hates, he hates slide decks. I don't, I don't hate right. slide decks. I, my, my thought is always, um, uh, that slide should be an enhancement and not a replacement for your talk. Slide should be an enhancement, not a replacement for your talk. Meaning here's a little litmus test. Let's imagine that, um, uh, well, this actually happened. Um, my wife went to a conference a couple of years ago and she texted me. She's like, Hey, I'm sitting in a session that was supposed to start five, 10 minutes ago and it hasn't started. And the, this little workshop and, the the speaker said, uh, her slides aren't working and she can't give her presentation if her slides don't work. And I was like, mm. Oh, that's the worst. Don't do that. Uh, and so again, that should be a situation like the litmus test is let's say five minutes before you're supposed to speak, the slides don't work. In that case, you have you have a choice to make. If, if it's like, oh well, I you know I can't give my presentation because my slides are everything. Um, that's not where you want to be. But if you're like, ah oh, crap, you know it's a it's a bummer that my slides don't work, but the talk can still stand on its own. Great, that's the spot that you need to be in. And so um, again, slides should be an enhancement, not a replacement for your talk. Because again, the, the reality is, is like there are absolutely some things that just uh, a slide, a picture, a visual is way more effective than the the spoken word, right? So I, I have a friend of mine who's a speaker and she tells a story about when her daughter was born. Her daughter was born very, very premature and was, um, uh, she's just describing like the condition that her daughter was in, was in like the ICU or the NICU and, and um, was... Um, uh, in there for like several uh, weeks or months, and she's describing all of this. But then she shows a picture of her of her little baby with all these like uh, wires and um, uh, hooked up to her and, and sensors and everything hooked up. And then like the the little girl like in her hand, like one of those pictures where it's like just in the palm of her hand, you know. And so it's like she right. can describe all this, but you see the picture and you're like, whoa, that is like crazy intense. Uh, and then she shows another picture of her grown daughter, like a teenage daughter who's healthy and fine and great. And like, it's just incredibly, incredibly powerful, way more than she could verbally articulate that. Uh, but again, the story should be able to stand on its own if she can't show those pictures. So yeah, I got nothing against slides, but I think oftentimes speakers err on the side of them becoming a, a crutch and I got to have my slides and they, you know, have all of my, uh, I kind of use them as cue cards. And, uh, I think that's just kind of a, I think that's just a lazy approach. Um, so that I'm, I'm not a fan of. Yeah, no, I, and and I agree a hundred percent. I mean, um, you know, I, I, and I've seen the gambit, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm with you. 
I, I like I, I I like very few words on slides. Mm-hmm. I like pictures. Um, and I'm not a big fan of bullet points. Like I, I, I like maybe, you know, a word, two words most, and, and I like to use them as prompts. Um, I, I always know I'm kind of in for a bad day when, when I see just, you know, word spaghetti all over a slide and worse when I see the person turn around and start reading from the slide that right right exactly <laughs> you know and but again I mean that goes back to kind of what you mentioned with with prep like that that sends me some cues like does this person really know what they're talking about and and uh you know but uh, again I'm with you I like pictures I'm not against slides myself but um yeah so um on that note again strategy speaking um, are you, do you like people to give, how do I want to word this, this question? If you see a speaker at different engagements, do you like to hear the same talk over and over? Or do you like people to kind of change it up and maybe tell a different joke than what they told at the last one? Or how do you feel about those sort of things? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think a lot of this kind of depends on the type of speaking you're doing. And again, this is going to look different for everybody, meaning like there are some speakers who, you know, they just kind of work with the same clients and similar audiences like over and over and over. And so they they have to be coming up with new content. Let's say that you are, um, you know, let's say you're speaking to uh, at a church. Let's say you're a, uh, a pastor or you're, you're speaking a couple weekends a year at the same church to the same audience. Like you can't just keep telling the same story over and over and over. Like you have to use new material. Now, at the same time, like if you're a speaker who, the, the nature of what you do is you're pretty much always speaking to a new audience, then I, I think you should actually lean into continuing to use a lot of the same material. A mistake a lot of speakers make is feeling like, okay, I got to have 10 different talks, you know, and they all got to be amazing. It's like, I, I don't, I don't recommend that at all. I would much rather a speaker have one, two, maybe three, like really polished dialed in talks versus 10 that are just all kind of mediocre. So uh, I think really spend the time on, on making one, you know, or two really, really solid talks. And again, this, this really depends a, a lot on, on, um, the nature of, of what it is that you are, uh, of what you're doing and how often you're, you're speaking, who you're speaking to. And the other thing, whenever it comes to developing, not just a new talk, but just kind of new content in general is when you're creating a, let's say a new story, uh, for example, you are making an educated guess. I think this is funny. I think this will resonate. I think this will make sense. I think this will be inspiring, but I don't really know until I get up in front of an audience. And so it's kind of similar to like if you're a chef and you're making something, you're you're making some type of dish, like you're making an educated guess. Like, I think we should do it this way. And then you, you just taste it. You try it like, okay, it needs a little bit more salt or it needs too much, had too much sugar, or uh, it's a little too tart. Maybe we should cook it a little bit longer. I think we overcooked it. And like you're, you're making these educated guests, but then you're making the, the tweaks uh, as you go. And it's the same thing that's true for a speaker. When you're, you're delivering that presentation, you're getting that real time feedback. Cause that's one of the unique things about speaking that you don't have in other mediums. Like right now, you know, or there may be a billion people that are listening. That's what you told me. How many people listen to this podcast? A billion people are listening to this podcast right now. Like you and I don't get to see any of them. They are, you know, cooking dinner or going for a walk or driving in the car or on a plane or whatever it may be. And we don't get to see any of this, but when you are delivering a speech, you are watching in real time, how things are going and you get a real good sense. Are people paying attention? Are they laughing? Are they smiling? Are they taking notes? Are they nodding? Are they sleeping? Are they on their phone? Are people tracking with what you're doing? 
And so that real-time feedback oftentimes informs and makes your speech uh, presentation better. So yeah. when you give a presentation, when you give a talk and you get that real-time feedback, then each time you give the talk, it becomes better. So I would recommend that you, again, have one or two talks that you're continually refining, testing new material, trying some new things versus like, I got a whole bunch of talks and I really uh, uh, give uh, only a couple of them most of the time. And then some of these others are kind of half-baked ideas like that. I'm, I'm less of a fan of that approach. Yeah. And, and see, you just nailed it, right? I mean, that was the one thing that I struggled with uh, when, when COVID hit. Uh, it's because it's funny you mentioned the timing. I was actually uh, in Memphis uh, when, when all that hit. I uh, was giving a talk at a diversity and inclusion conference uh, down in Memphis and was coming back to Indianapolis um, when, when COVID kind of kicked off. And, and I remember on the way back, Memphis recorded their first case. And my wife was texting me. She's like, where exactly were you in Memphis? They were just talking about the first case. And I yeah. was like, and it happened to be in the in the area we were at, but not thankfully at the conference that, that I was speaking at, but, but I, that's me. What you describe as me. I love, um, you know, I'm from Northeast Tennessee. I've never met a stranger in my life. I love personal interaction. I love being able to look somebody in the, in the face and read all of those cues and, and react, you know, and, and, and be able to adjust on the fly, uh, to, to how the audience is, is vibing and, and, look for the person who is, you know, maybe nodding off in the back and try to engage them and pull them back in. Right. And, and, you know, in the early days when zoom was taken off and, you know, cameras were flying off the shelves, not everybody had cameras. And that drove me batty, not being able to see everybody. And, 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 uh, you know, I, I felt a lot of that got lost and, you know, so it's a lot better now. Right. Uh, but you know, I, I feel your pain and, 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 uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, man, that, that was, that was some good stuff there. Um, so how does somebody know? So you, you kind of mentioned that there, but like, how does somebody know that this is their talk? Yeah. Well, uh, I think, I think it's important to note that like, um, talks are always kind of a work in progress, you know, and I don't know that the, uh, there are certainly times where you're like, oh, this is, you know, this is really, really good and this is working. But the, the mo for the most part, a lot of talks and just kind of like, I wouldn't think of it as just necessarily a, a one complete talk, but kind of like bits and chunks and stories. And a lot of those things may just kind of have a shelf life to them. Like some things that work or are, are relevant, um, at one point may not be relevant at some point later, you know? So I remember, um, I remember years ago, I had a, um, a story I would tell about American Idol and specifically about like the original judges of Randy, Paula and Simon. Well, they haven't mm -hmm. been judges in years. So if I right. keep telling that all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, what's, who's he even talking about? Like, that doesn't make sense. Or I don't remember that or anything like that. So you, you have to make sure that your, your examples, your case studies, your stories, your analogies are, you know, are relevant, uh, for the audience that you're talking to, for the situation, for current events. And so there's a, a, a speaker friend of mine, and he talks about this concept called the new two, the new two. And his, is is the goal is that every time he gives a speech, he wants two minutes of it to be brand new material that he's never, he's never presented before. And it's, it's oftentimes it's just kind of like, think of it like a laboratory and kind of an experiment of I'm going to, I'm just going to, I got these two minutes that I'm going to include at some point in my talk and we're going to see how it works. And cause again, I'm getting that real time feedback from the audience and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's like, Wow, this that that two minutes I just delivered, like, boy, that could really turn into something. Or like, yeah, I tried it and didn't work. I'm probably not going to use it again. But 
just constantly kind of challenging yourself to incorporate some new materials some try some different things um be have your radar up where you're looking for stories and something happened and like okay i i need to i need to have a way to capture that story and use that at some point and i'm not sure where or how or what the point of the message is but like that you know that was a good story or a compelling or an interesting or a funny story that happened and i know i can use that on stage and so uh looking for opportunities to uh to incorporate and continue to uh again think of your talk as kind of this living breathing or uh, organism mm, i love it i love it well, listeners, I, I think we could uh, talk all night here. You know, Grant is, is a wealth of knowledge. And, um, you know, we, we've talked kind of abstractly about uh, the stuff he covers in the Successful Speaker book and on the Speaker Lab podcast and on his uh, Speaker Lab YouTube channel. I highly suggest you you check all of those resources out. Uh, but I'm just kind of curious, uh, as we look to kind of close things out here, is there anything we didn't get a chance to cover that you want to leave listeners with before we get out of here? Yeah, I'll give you a, a quick analogy is that speaking uh, is is no different than and entrepreneurship and life. Ultimately, a lot of it is like driving a car at night. And what that means is that when you're driving a car at night, you can literally only see a few feet in front of you, but you can drive hundreds or thousands of miles that way. And so whenever it comes to like building a speaking career, like uh, there, there's a lot of questions and doubts and concerns and unknowns. And I'm not sure if this is going to work or if I have what it takes or how does this, uh, you know, again, how do I book gigs and what do I speak about and all of that. Uh, and the same thing is true again with, with life or an entrepreneurial endeavor or uh, whatever it is that you are doing. It's a lot like driving a car at night. Like I can literally only see a few feet in front of me. But I can make the entire journey that way. I don't have any idea that the roadblocks or constructions or detour or any of that stuff that lies ahead. But I know I'll figure it out. And again, that's part of the experience. That's part of the journey. So uh, ultimately, whether you want to be a speaker or sort of business, whatever it is that you want to do, um, be, be ready to keep putting in the work and, and keep showing up. Mm, that is beautiful advice. I, I, I love that analogy. I hadn't heard that before, but it is so true. So true. Uh so folks want to find out more about you, find out more about the Speaker Lab, get a copy of the book, follow the podcast, get subscribed to your YouTube channel. What, what are good places for them to do all those things? Yeah, thanks, Earl. Uh, everything we do is over at thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. Uh, we have a podcast by the same name, The Speaker Lab Podcast. So if you listen to this podcast, you probably listen to other podcasts. So definitely check that one out. We've got 440, 450 some episodes over there. So a lot of free content, all things speaking. Uh, also, the book you mentioned, The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform. Uh, so a lot of good content there. Uh, and I believe you can actually get a free copy of the book. Uh, just pay a couple bucks for shipping uh, if you go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. You can check that out. Um, but yeah, a couple different uh, training coaching programs. So if any of that is, is of interest, feel free to uh, reach out. Again, check out everything over at thespeakerlab.com. Absolutely. And we'll make sure that that gets into the show notes. So listeners, as always, all that stuff will just be a link click away for you. Um, well, Grant, brother, thank you for your time. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Uh, you're a great resource out there for everybody. And again, I want to reiterate this to the listeners. Uh, you know, we kind of brush up on it, but whether you're talking about uh, your own speaking business, getting that off the ground, we're talking about leading, speaking to your team. We're talking about uh, leading uh, in your household. Uh, you know, Grant mentioned his, his start in the church, all of these things, speaking is 
It is extremely valuable to all aspects of, of your life, your business, your leadership journey. And, and Grant and his team are an extremely valuable resource. So Grant, I want to say thank you very much for doing everything you're doing, uh, for being that resource and making all of your knowledge and wisdom available out there and mostly for free. Uh, so thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for being out there. And thank you for being an amazing guest on the Responsible Leadership Podcast today. Thanks, Earl. Appreciate it. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA.